Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Lindy Kaiser and welcome. I'm really excited today to have Matt Scott, Senior Vice President of Avantis Federal on the show. Matt and I have worked together on the Intelligence and National Security Foundation's Future of the IC Workforce Series, and I can always count on Matt to be a strong voice for change within the intelligence community. He has a history of delivering and scaling data and capabilities within the IC, while also pushing for the government and industry to innovate, which I so appreciate. So thank you so much for being on the show, Matt. Thank you for putting it nicely like that. <laughs> I mean, I, I never introduce anyone, anybody negatively because then then the rest of the interview is pretty much shot. So you can, it'll only go downhill from here, though, in my accolades for you. I can All right. this. I, I so appreciate your being on the show. And I, I love your leadership around this topic. But I'd love to learn more about how this became a specific area of interest for you and became a passion point for you. Sure. And, and so to answer that, may I share a personal story? Of course. Uh, so, so my first job in the intelligence community was as a platoon leader in Iraq. So I, I graduated college. I attended my Army Intel Officer Basic course. Uh, and I think three to four weeks later, I was in Iraq and I took over a platoon that was already there. Uh, and we're, you know, we're flying UAVs and manned aerial vehicles over a big chunk of the country, sort of Baghdad and North. And I won't over-dramatize it. You know, that job wasn't easy uh, and it wasn't safe. It wasn't comfortable. And the progress that we made day to day was really hard one. And so fast forward four years from that point, and I'm out of the army and I'm sitting in this, you know, this, this nondescript office park in Northern Virginia. I'm working for a government contractor for the IC, for the intelligence community. And I'm wearing a green badge. And my assignment four years later is contributing to some of the first courses on social media and analysis. And so I'm, I'm sitting there and I have this like aha moment and I realize if we get this right, this being OSINT, then we don't have to do that. That being, you know, Iraq or intelligence collection in the middle of a war zone. Fast forward, I got to this point today by working in industry for the last decade plus all around open source and trying to trying to get to this place where we do open source right so that we don't have to do the harder things wrong later on. I love it. The parallels continue. Well, I was the first social media manager for the army. So you're talking about that. You told me, you told me that. So yeah, right. I feel yeah. like when we form a company together, Matt, I am the open source version of your behind the scenes IC army story. So we could oh. be the yin and yang of this conversation. I know that we could actually talk about anything, but they have given me limited airtime for good reason. So today I kind of want to focus our conversation a little bit on the recent op-ed you did in the Cypher Brief calling for a new open source leadership within the IC. So I'm going to include a link to that in the show notes so our listeners can check it out. I'm a sociologist at heart. So I generally always talk about defining the terms and framing the issues. So I did want to kind of start if we're going to talk about open source a little bit on the show today, how do you define open source? And do you think the IC actually has a legitimate definition of what open source is? This is such a super important question. But anytime that I hear it, I go on sort of red alert. <laughs> so let me answer your question. And then I'll tell you why you've now got me alarmed. You know, open source intelligence, it's, it's intelligence that's produced from publicly available information. There has been a great deal of debate 
and hemming and hawing over what publicly available information is. But it's basically information that's been published or broadcast for the use by the public, or it's available on request to the public, can be accessible online to the public. You could buy it or subscribe to it. Uh, you could see or hear it if you're just a casual observer, or it's made available you know, at a public event or a meeting. And I would include that this also includes commercially available information. And that's information that made available by a company. You can buy it, you can lease it, you can sell it. And these definitions I, I'm giving you, these are not Matt Scott's definitions. These are the Department of Defense's definitions, I think ODNI's definitions. Uh, so this is well-trod territory. What is it? What isn't it? But let me tell you why now you've alarmed me. Uh, and, and that's because we've been working on open source and trying to advance the discipline now for at least a decade myself, two decades plus others and this question of the definition is often a little bit of a, it's almost like a bureaucratic maneuver to slow down whatever conversation we're having. And I've been in, I don't, tens of conversations, meetings inside the government, inside industry, around industry. And we're starting to make progress. We're talking about tough issues, talking about the value of, of open source. And, and it, it almost never fails. You know, someone sort of leans back in their chair, sort of stretches their decades of experience comfortably in government, and they ask, well, what does this mean? You know, what is open source? What is PAI? And then we end up admiring the problem and progress halts, which is in a way, you know, the story or my version of the story of where we are with open source right now. There's the definition. It's it's available in 10 different official publications across the IC and DOD. And if there's a takeaway today, if you're in a meeting and you're trying to push something forward with open source and someone asks you what it is, don't let them bog you down. It's there. Move forward. Uh, we're, 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 we're past this. Oh, I love that answer. I mean, the red alarms, though. I'm setting off red alarms with question number one. So I'm hoping I, I can. this can be a a five alarm interview, if I get my cards right. So again, we clearly know that you don't dance around the issues. Your recent op-ed for Cypher Brief, you literally outlined the failure of open source with a call for new IC leadership. I'm just curious, do you think the IC understands the failure point it is in? And is there momentum around that belief across the ICs? Are you the only one sounding these alarms, Matt, or is the community behind you? So I, I think the answer to your question is yes and yes. And I am not the only one. However, there are some bureaucratic and I would argue leadership reasons why that awareness and this this group of, of people trying to push for change haven't yet achieved it. I guess I would also, I love starting with context like you do, Lindy. I think the super important context with this conversation is the moment that we're in in the intelligence community. Overwhelmed with data, we're overwhelmed by threats. Many of those threats are from new places or they're targeted at new places within our country. We're in a competition to get to the truth first with media, with big countries, with small countries, with non-nation states. And that's because of the democratization of intelligence capabilities and the commoditization of technology. But this is such a critical moment that, you know, Sue Gordon says, and, and I, I quote this whenever I can, but she says, we've only had four moments of equal import to the one we're in now in the entire history of the intelligence community. And she says the first was World War II. So think, you know, Pearl Harbor. The second is the fall of the Berlin Wall. So think end of the Cold War. The third is 9-11. And the fourth is now. And so as we're having this conversation, we're asking ourselves, you know, why aren't we doing more with open source? I think we have to also just, just really take a step back 
and just appreciate the stakes, right? This is not a moment for the status quo. It's not a moment to sort of sit and be happy with the progress today. It's a moment for action. It's a moment to roll up our sleeves and work. And despite the fact that I think there's broad awareness that we're not doing as much as we can with open source, you know, on this topic, we just haven't seen enough work accomplished over the last decade plus. No, and I think you highlighted that in the article, you referred to it as a secondary end, in part because it's one that no single entity wakes up thinking about. And I think I've heard you say that same phrase before. So why is that important? That Do we need a, a single person who wakes up thinking about open source? Why can't that just be everybody in the IC thinking about open source? The, sh- the short answer is because, you know, we're in a race with our adversaries and You don't win races with federations and with volunteer coalitions sort of deciding by committee what comes next. Quite frankly, organizationally, you don't achieve change without leadership. And we're not structured today with that leadership. And we're certainly not structured today to achieve the change that we've got to accomplish. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like no senior intelligence leader wakes up in the morning each day and says, how do I advance the open source discipline? We have IC leaders that, you know, the director of the CIA is by designation by the director of national intelligence is the functional manager for open source in the community. This is publicly available information. That gentleman today, it's Mr. Burns, Director Burns, incredibly intelligent man, but he has other problems to deal with, right? Like he wakes up and thinks to himself, what does the president need on this topic? What's the status of this operation in this country? Covert action, all source analysis, open source is not even on that top list of priorities, I would imagine. But we're in this critical moment and we need open source intelligence to recapture and gain intelligence advantage over our adversaries, then we're in trouble. My favorite little phrase from the response you just gave was your disclaimer for this is publicly available information. This is how you know you're talking to somebody within the IC. But it pivots <laughs> also to my next the next thing. We find ourselves saying that, right? Like, because I do that all the time with clearance jobs. People are like, well, how did you get that? Or why did you publish that? And I'm like, well, I literally pulled it from a government website where it was published. It's not right. UO, it's not sensitive. Right. But again, that was like my next kind of question is like, I'm clearance job. I'm eating my own dog food here. I have strong support for the classification system. But I also think that overclassification is an issue. I think you can have both positions. So I want to talk about classification without getting myself fired. But I see OSINT and classification as equally important. But the fact that we have this kind of back and forth where we have to like profess that what we found was publicly sourced and isn't classified is kind of a weird point to be in. So how do you kind of see the marriage of these two topics, the need for a classification process or that there is, you know, there is information that is secret, top secret sensitive, but also, I mean, the, I think the vast majority of our insights within the IC now are coming from open source. How do we hold both of those things out? That's right. You you know, we keep hearing the statistic 80 to 90% of the information that gets from the IC to the president every day and to the critical leaders around the, the executive branch every day comes from open source. And yet here we are excusing the fact that we're using open sources, right? You know, I, I think you know we have this thing in the intelligence community where if you want to do something new or get it approved or funded, you have to go to the the sort of the legacy people who are in all these leadership positions and positions of power, and you have to convince them that what you're asking for will either help them or at least not threaten them. And we do that with classification, and we do that with the legacy ends with open source. 
for the longest time, the narrative on open source is look at this information or these tools, it'll complement your human. Or OSINT is great for tipping and queuing, or OSINT is great for adding color to all source analysis. Or let's use OSINT because we can share a little bit more broadly, but then you keep all your secrets. But I think we have to make a break. And this is also true with classification. We've got to stop doing things the old way. And just because the IC has done it that way for the last 75 years, like OSINT moving forward is the foundational intelligence discipline. It's where all intelligence requirements should start. And it should take a big fat chunk out of the budget for the secret disciplines that sort of hide behind the fact that they've have been here forever and are doing it the way that they've been doing it forever. Well, good luck with that, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is like a very optimistic conversation. I realize we're having it, but Hey, let's, it's, yeah. it's, let's dream big dreams. Why not? It's the start of a new year. Magical yep. things can happen. You never know. We need open source information. We need open source innovation. Obviously, again, I'm Clarence Jobs, so I've got to talk talent management a little bit. And I know sure. this is also a passion point of yours and something that you've talked about. How does our current like talent government contracting experience exacerbate this issue around innovation? We just need to think through problems differently. I mean, we can apply this to OSIT. We can apply this to everything that the IC does, quite frankly, and and take this maybe. I don't know. I'm, I might be overstating that. But we can like we, we need to think about things differently. You've talked about this before with us at Clearance Jobs. What are some of the steps that the federal government could take? today to actually improve its reality around OSINT and around other issues, whether it's talent management, government contracting. We might need a longer podcast. <laughs> this is my last question, I promise, Matt. This is it. This well, is the, the world is your oyster now. Let's end with, you know, what could we do next around open source? Because I have some ideas that I'm willing to put out there. I, I, I think this again goes back to the moment and the criticality and how you motivate change in the IC. I once uh, was in a, in a group and we were listening to Michael Morrell speak and, and he said something that stuck with me for now years. And he said, change is the easiest thing in the intelligence community. I think he was speaking specifically about CIA at the time, but it, it's, it's broadly applicable to the entire IC. And he said, to achieve a change in the IC, all you have to do is convince the workforce that that is what is required for mission accomplishment. And I think that's so true. If we convince people that this is the future and that if we don't adopt open source, we're gonna continue losing our intelligence advantage, then we win and the change will happen. If we don't convince them, then we lose. I'm not sure I want to imagine what could happen if, uh, if we continue down the current uh, path. What do we need to do next? We've gotta put the right leadership in place. In my article, I argue that open source needs its own entity. It needs its own senior leadership. Uh, it needs people that wake up in the morning and think, how do I advance this discipline? How do I make the most of the world of publicly available information to make a difference for national security? So that's the first step. I think the second step is once you have that leadership, you put this organization in place. I think it could go a couple different places, but it's got to be its own thing. Got to have that senior leadership. And then third, from the beginning, you build the organization, not like a legacy intelligence organization, but you build it on the foundation of just true, incredible, deep partnerships with industry, with academia, with not-for-profits, you know, with allied countries, incredibly important. And then fourth, you know, this gets to the, the secrecy and the classification, which are just a real threat, I think, to not just progress on OSINT, but, but to potentially to our country. We've got to share broadly and often what we're doing. There's no reason we should be afraid to share 
the fact that the government is looking at data around the world to answer questions. Of course it is. When America lines up behind transparency and values shared with our citizens, with our allies, and we execute, you know, the innovation available in industry, in our market economy, then we win. When we don't do those things, then we lose. And open source is a place where all of that could line up and could create something really powerful for the country and not just for the intelligence community, I think for the whole government. I mean, that's a boilerplate, but I'm not going to let you off that easy. Is change really the easy thing that I see? How do we convince the workforce that this is critical to the mission? Does that tie back into the leadership piece of it? We get the right leaders in there? Or how do we get, I feel like we have this point A to C, what's the B? Well, I mean, I would argue that the workforce is there, the leadership is not. And so I, I reject out of hand the premise that the IC workforce is not ready for open source. This is not a case of the frozen middle, right? This is a case of an active hot, ready-to-go workforce and a frozen leadership. And the leadership is frozen because it's not incentivized to work in a true community way, and it's not incentivized to advance the open source discipline. It's incentivized to advance whatever legacy discipline the leaders have come up through, and it's incentivized to protect you know, the rice bowls of those legacy intelligence organizations. So, I mean, we just basically have to read your op-ed to fill in the details. I feel like that's a great, (laughs) great, I feel like it's an interview ploy, Matt, but I support it. I support it. Well, I so appreciate you taking the time to chat. I feel like, again, it's like I need more airtime because as you noted, this would have to be like a 10-part series of us talking about open source and the IC. But I think, again, we're all about opening doors and starting conversations. If you're listening to this interview, you're kind of, you're now a part of that. I think the more we continue to push, you know, like I'll say at clearance jobs, just kind of getting news information out there, letting folks know that there that there is this moment and this movement happening around OSINT. I think the change could happen. And I'm always glad to chat with you and hear you and seeing you be a part of it, Matt. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cleared Past. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.